others it might just be the, the confusion, the, the difficulty of relationships, the uncertainty of life, the disappointment that things haven't gone as you thought they might. And it just begins to stack up in your face that this is now my identity. This is who I am now. Is this sorrow, this hardship, this difficulty, it'll be in my face forever. How do I live? How do I move past this? And the Psalms are great because they allow us to, to be honest with that emotion, to bring those feelings, to bring that experience before the face of the Lord, and yet let not let it be our identity. Not let it be a prison for us. Because as exiles on the way, our final word is not that we are exiles. Our final word is that there is hope in Jesus Christ, that we are citizens of another kingdom. That's why Revelation doesn't end with, all right, do the best you can. It ends with that longing, even so, Lord Jesus, come. So I think there's plenty for us to learn here from Psalm 126. Look at the first three verses. Really, are the psalmist remembering God's goodness, God's graciousness? As we look back, verse one: When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. He begins by saying, "When I I look back at how God has worked in His people, how God has worked in my life, how He has restored those fortunes." It's unclear exactly what he's talking about. And maybe a psalm was written a little bit later, and they're referring to the Israelites returning back to Judah after the Babylonian captivity. And so maybe it's that as they return to Judah, they, they rebuild uh, in Jerusalem, they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the temple, perhaps it's, it's that. The language also mirrors very closely um, Job and Job's life after God allowed Satan to have his way with Job for a while and he suffered so greatly and then God restored his fortunes and blessed him. And Job says those same ideas of as his good fortune was restored as if as in a dream. I think this gives us that idea of it's so our memory of it is so great that we're almost uncertain if it was real. I mentioned before our family lived in New Zealand for a couple of years when I was like third grade. So it was like 30 years ago, something like that. And I remember we went on this hike. I remember it was several miles. I mean, I was probably like a quarter mile through the heavy bush area. And you come out, and you come out on this peak, and then there's a little winding path down called Whale's Cove. And it was like, you get to that peak, and you look down, and there's this little secluded beach that's just absolutely beautiful. There's nobody there. The bush all around is just rocky cliffs out around it. And it's hiked down. I remember being there and playing. And it wasn't that long ago. It was a few years ago. I was talking to my dad. I was saying, was that, is that real? <laughs> real shows? Like, did we really, was it? And he is perfectly amazing. So, But it was so kind of just such an incredible feeling. It almost felt like a dream. It was so much fun, so beautiful. 
And he's saying, I look back on the way the Lord has worked in my life. As a Christian, you look back and you see God's work in converting you and His graciousness and goodness in your life. But because your present circumstances seem so far removed from that, because either just the sorrow of life or just the monotony and boredom and difficulty of life, it almost seems like, yes, that's great, but it doesn't really touch me. It's almost like it was a dream from the past. But he continues. Verse 2, then our mouths are filled with laughter, tongues that shout joy. He remembers that. He remembers the joy that was there, that, that there was just an overflowing sort of laughter and joy and expressions of God's goodness, so different from his experience right now. And then to kind of bring it home that no, it wasn't a dream, he goes, and he said among the nations, and they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The psalmist is, I remember it right. Even the nations testified to God's goodness and God's greatness in my life. People looked at my life and thought, man, well, God has been good to that person. God has been good to that church. God has been good to those people. Things are going great. We all share this testimony and example at some point. Maybe you feel it right now. Maybe you have felt it. That right now, things aren't great. I remember when they were. I remember spiritually when they were. When I was, was excited about the things of the Lord. When my salvation really captured my heart and my mind. Really set me on a path and, and was a guiding rule of how I was going to live my life and make decisions. And now it's just not. Now the hardships of the children's journey have thrown up in the way. The fears of life, the sorrows of life, the immediate difficulty is all I can really see. And I remember that almost as if it was a dream. But I know it was real. I remember the laughter. I remember the joy. Other people testified to God's work. And then he concludes and speaks in the present tense, even though it's still a memory, just bringing the confidence of what it was that the Lord has done great things for us. Look back and we remember things are great, things 
friend, no, the homesickness element that is produced. But we see for the psalmist, it's, it's not a problem for him because his hope is not how it used to be. His hope is how it will be. That even Israel, when, when things were restored and they were back in Israel, they were back in Jerusalem, they're back in the temple, there was still a homesickness. There was still a longing for a Messiah to come and to make things right. When we remember and we rehearse the goodness and the greatness of God and how He has worked in our life, it shouldn't produce in us a sense of, I just want to go back. I just want it to be like it was before. What it should produce in us, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of hardship, is a hope, a renewed joy in time, but a homesickness that looks forward. We saw it in First Peter. We are exiles. We are pilgrims on the way. Philippians, we referred to it in our free service, tells us we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Our loyalty, our citizenship, our home is not in this age. We are exiles on our way through. As great as beautiful as the garden was, the goal isn't to get back to the garden. The goal is to get to the heavenly kingdom, the new Jerusalem. And so this psalm, as he's in the midst of these difficulties, and he looks back and he remembers how the God has worked and how that there was a time of greater joy and a time where people saw the church and, and testified to God's goodness and greatness in it. And he now senses the sorrow. His hope isn't in how great it used to be. His hope is in that, yes, God has worked mightily, but my hope is forward. My hope is in the future. And so he remembers. He, he looks back in this nostalgia, though, that God in His graciousness changes nostalgia, not for the past, but that we're homesick for the future. Look at verse 4, the psalm sort of pivots then on this verse. He asks, Now in time indeed, Lord, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of Megiddo. Restore our fortunes. He asks, God, Bring back that joy. Bring back that gladness. Because all I see right now is the hardship that's in front of me. All I see are either the tears in my eyes or the mundane life I can't seem to break out of. Lord, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams and the gas. Together, this arid desert area south of the Judah. It is just really desert. It's a long, long drive through there. Most people watch the They go through these long seasons in the safari there where there's just no rain. Everything is brown, very little water, you can't find food. But then you're into this short, rainy season of the forest. And that's the, the picture here is that the desert of Negev, everything would be, would be arid and the ground breaking up from dryness. Yet when the, water, the rainy season would come, the water would come and it would sort of overflow these bodies and the banks of these little dried out creeks, and all of a sudden, when it's completely brown, now it's exploding with water. 
eternal dream. Life is coming back. There's some joy. There's some, some sense of, of life is returning. That's what the psalmist brings here. Right now, Lord, even in time, it brings some refreshment, brings some restoration, brings some joy right now as it used to be for us. Then we get to verse 5 and 6, and I think this will just pop for a few minutes and make a few observations. He says, Those who sow in tears shall reap the shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his seeds with him. So the question then is, how do we live then? How do we live? Knowing that God has worked mightily in our lives. He has saved us. He has saved us. He has set us free from the bondage of sin. He supplies us all the time in our hearts and encouragement. So right now, we just don't see past the tears and sorrows. And there is no denying that right now there are tears and there are sorrows. How do we live then with a future hope? It's just to invest in the future, to, to aim for that and not to aim backwards, to just get back how things were before the harvest. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this that we sow in tears. Those have two observations. First, Tears should be expected. So in this Christian life, as we walk the servant's journey, the first observation we need to make is that tears should be expected. So often we're shocked and offended that sorrow and difficulty come up in the servant's journey. We remember how it was and we're shocked and offended that it comes to the servant's journey. Even though the scripture tells us Second observation is that here is the borrower John Piper again. You 
can waste your sorrows. You are able to waste them. If you're able to sow in such a way that it is fruitful, then it would imply that you can walk through sorrow and you have tears, and it can be wasted in your journey. And it's wasted when your only hope and only goal is to get back to how things were before. It's wasted when you turn completely inward and become completely selfish in the way you walk through sorrow, the way you walk through hardship. It is possible to grieve in such a way that there is no real truth in your life. The third observation, though, which to me was very surprising, is that the joy promised in verses 5 and 6 is produced by tears. Produced by suffering. I think we all agree, we know this for ourselves, that joy follows suffering, right? Joy follows that's not what this text is saying. It's not just that you go through a hard time and you try to be your best. Or some sorrow you can have. But he is saying that sorrow, the tears, rightly sown, those themselves produce the hope. Those themselves produce the joy. A hope and a joy that you won't know and experience and have in the same way if you don't have the sorrow. Observation, and then we'll make a couple of applications to the church. The fourth observation that hopefully by now you've been drawn in to is turning your eyes to That this is messianic in the sense that it is turning our hearts and minds to the one who showed and feared and reaped a great heart. Walking this earth, suffering in every way, the garden of Gethsemane, filled with sorrow. And yet, faithful in the sorrow, sowing in the tears, we reap the great harvest of joy. And that becomes an example for us how we are set, how we are to understand sorrow in our lives. Not to feel guilty by it. Sort of over religious 
view of it. They just denied it all. But on the other side, you have a, an overly secular view of it. That the emotions, the feelings that you have are an end of themselves. That is, whatever you are feeling, you, that becomes what you bow down to, is that feeling, that emotion. That's what controls you. That's what I bow down to, and that's what I expect others to bow down to in me. I think the Psalms present this middle way of, if you see the Psalms again and again, praying these emotions of, of working out these feelings in the presence of God in prayer. And it's there that you begin to make sense of it, where you at least begin to find some healing in the midst of that sorrow. Not just denying, not just venting with them, but it's praying those tears, praying those sorrows. Again, you see that again and again demonstrated for us in the Psalms. Second application. How do you sow in tears? Partly, I think it's just this. You do what you should be doing as a Christian, but just in the midst of fear. You go to the Word. You pray. You minister to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You go out and worship. You sing. You fellowship. You come to the table. If you've walked through really difficult times, then you know it's exponentially more difficult to do that when you're overwhelmed with sorrow. It's hard to think of us. It can be hard to come and to engage in worship and to engage in prayer. But you commit, like brothers and sisters here, and we have walked through really hard times. And you can tell, they're here, they're, it, it's a struggle sometimes just being here, even though it's the one thing that will bring healing. But sowing in tears, I read this example somewhere. Families in our church who are walking through such difficult times. 
because you just feel like it's not genuine. I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to come and worship. It's just too hard for me right now. I got too many problems. I can't focus on helping someone else. I feel so distant from God right now in my prayer. I'm just not going to do it. And instead of sowing in tears, you're wasting that sorrow. You're wasting those tears. But just remaining faithful in the midst of the hardship strengthens the Christian. Thirdly, I'm finished here. Thirdly, you must sow your tears in the realization of His grace. Sow your tears in the realization of His grace. That is, look back. Strengthen my faith to give me patience, to give me endurance to make it to the end of the race. To suffer well, to sow those in tears in a way that produces fruit, we must trust and believe that if God gives us and works in us what is needed to make us an overwhelming conqueror in all things. He does that in and through Jesus Christ. guarantees that He'll give us all things, everything else that we need. And then He'll work all those things for our good to make us more like Christ and that our lives would exalt Christ. And that all things pops up one more time in Romans 8. And famine and nakedness and, and poverty and everything else comes at us. The Lord has given us working for our good that in all those things we would be overwhelmed Realization that our suffering takes place and that's His grace. And then finally, you must sow your tears with your eyes set on Christ. Looking to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it is only His tears to His sowing and tears to His redemption. But He suffered all the way.
strong And because Jesus cried that, because Jesus understood that, we know that the answer to every prayer we might have, however theologically wrong we are, however wrong we are in our answers to prayer, is that God will not forsake us. Blessedness of being God's child is to have God's face to shine upon you. You are blessed. Cursedness is to have God forsake you. Jesus was that scapegoat, that one who was driven outside of the camp, forsaken by God. As we keep our eyes on the cross and see that Jesus is suffering for us, we can know with our eyes on the cross that as we cry out, Look at this psalm. Hopefully, everyone can relate to it at some level. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. Maybe you will be. If you meditate upon it and give it some thought, look past in the past through God's word. Look at your sorrows and your sufferings right now, and there's some sense of homesickness. But not to go back to how it was, but to reach that heavenly kingdom where there is no more tears, no more suffering. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is live and active. Lord, we pray for these thoughts, for the song. Lord, we pray that you have given them to us. Thank you.